shaking, how we are being flooded today with that false doctrine that all we have to do is believe and do nothing else. But this morning I want to show you from God's word that there is more. If we are to be saved, we are to cooperate with God in his plan of salvation. In our text, Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13, I read, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. This morning, I, I just want to tell you that God has a very exciting plan to save us, which also includes a power to live the sanctified life. But our job is to discover this plan, and when we know what it is, to cooperate with him. I think these words from Amazing God's Amazing Grace by Ellen White on page 319 
sum up in a nutshell what I want to bring to you this morning. God has arranged his plans so as to accomplish nothing in the restoration of the human race without the cooperation of the human with the divine. Now that, that puts it very plainly. There is something that you and I have to do as we connect the human with the divine. If we are to make God's grace our own, we must act our part in the plan of salvation, and there can be no misunderstanding about it. In the book Messages to Young People, page 147, and by the way, young people, I see a number of you here this morning. I do hope that you will, I believe so, I believe that you will find nothing that will help you so much as young people to read the book Messages to Young People. It was a wonderful guide in my life to explain the Bible. And I just want to tell you that if you can get your hands on this book and read it, it will do something for you. It will make it so plain. The Lord does not propose to perform for us either the willing or the doing. His grace is given to work in us to will and to do, but never as a substitute for our effort. Our souls are to be aroused to cooperate. Let me tell you something. Recently I was looking at the evening television newscast and I saw something I must tell you. I saw a man hopelessly lost, about to lose his life, but there was somebody that could save him, but not without the man's cooperation. Someone was there who had a video camcorder and took it all down and that's how I happened to see it and I know it's true. It began with a tremendous downpour. Up in the mountains, miles away, there was a terrible cloudburst. This man didn't know anything about it. He was driving home for work, and uh, it was a dirt road that finally led across the path of a ravine where the waters would flow if there was a downpour. There wasn't a trickle in it, and he was riding home and suddenly a wall of water came rushing down that ravine and hit his car and the car began to turn over and over. How he got out, I don't know. Some way through the window, amid the crushing boulders and the sand and the waters, he got out and he was trying to save his life and he found a tree that was growing in the middle of that ravine. And he clung on to it and he began to climb up and I saw it. It was a tragic picture because the waters were so rough and the timber was coming down and the stones were coming down hitting the tree and it looked like any moment that tree would go over and he would lose his life. And there he was clinging on for his very life. Someone saw it, notified a helicopter, 
And this man came and was hovering over her head, dangling a rope down. Finally, the rope came within an arm's distance. And now it was up to the man to cooperate. He had to take a hold of that rope. He had to tie himself. He had to let go of the tree. And finally, I saw him as he began to go up. And no sooner had he let go of that tree that the tree went over and was destroyed just like he would have been destroyed. Now, no earthly illustration can give us a complete and perfect picture of the saving power of Jesus Christ. But I believe this comes pretty close. You see, this man could do nothing to save himself. The tree was going to go over. There was no human thing that he could do, no work that he could do, not even any faith that he might have alone could save him. Neither could the pilot save him when he dangled the rope without the man letting go of the tree and grabbing hold of the rope. There had to be a cooperation. And this, I believe, gives us a picture of what God wants to do for us and what we must do ourselves. Let me read it to you. Volume 5, page 514. If you, it is for you to yield up your will to the will of Jesus Christ. As you do this, God will immediately take possession and work in you to will and to do his good pleasure. Your whole nature will then be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ. And even your thoughts will be subject to him. You cannot control your impulses, your emotions, as you may desire, but you can control the will, and you can make an entire change in your life. In two weeks, I'm going to talk about the power of the will. And especially, young people, I want you to hear this. You will be intrigued as you are able to see what the will can do in your life. By yielding up your will to Christ, your life will be hid with Christ in God and allied to a power which is above all principalities and powers. You will have strength from God that will hold you fast to his strength. But your will must cooperate with God's will. Now in my presentation this morning I have divided it into four sections and in each one I am going to first tell what God's part is in saving you and what is your part in making that possible. Now perhaps as we talk at this first part you have never really realized before what I'm going to give to you. But God's part is to draw you. You know, we somehow get the idea that we can do everything of ourselves. But Jesus uses that beautiful illustration of a lost sheep. Let me read it. Ezekiel 34, 11. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, 
I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when some of his sheep have been scattered abroad, so will I seek out my sheep. Isn't that beautiful? Here we have a picture of a sheep that has wandered away. It doesn't realize it's lost. It's going in the wrong direction. It's going over to the precipice. It's going to fall over. It's going to be lost. And here the shepherd is seeking it. The shepherd is going out after it. Notice how beautifully this is put in Steps to Christ, page 54. While the sinner is yet far from the Father's house, wasting his substance in a strange country, the Father's heart is yearning over him. And every longing awakened in the soul to return to God is but the tender pleading of his spirit, wooing, entreating, drawing the wanderer to the Father's heart of love. What would we do without such a God? We all have drifted away. We all have been lost in sin. How wonderful that God's Spirit is pleading with us and going after it. You know, sheep are so different from other animals. I have known of cats who have been taken away several miles from their home and dumped to get rid of them. And in a week or so, they're back on the porch waiting for the morning breakfast. They found their way back. And I know personally of several dog stories where the dog has been separated from the man a hundred to a hundred and fifty miles away. And the man couldn't find him and he came home. And three months later, the dog found his way back to his home. But sheep are not like this. They are absolutely helpless. If it becomes lost, it must be sought. It cannot find its way back home. And the soul that wanders from God without the divine help of God is a sinner that will never find God without his help. So there is something that God must do, and here is where he steps into our life. He draws us to himself. And this brings us to that beautiful song that Pear sang this morning. Were you there? Have you ever gone to the cross? You see, in John 12, verse 32, Jesus says, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And here is the power of the cross. As the sinner is drawn, he sees Jesus, the sin bearer, uplifted on the cross of Calvary, and he sees that pardoning love. He sees his great need, for he is lost, and he is drawn by an almighty power. But so few of us, even in the church today, Somehow, I'm afraid we have never comprehended the cross. 
we really don't realize what transpired on that cross. For 30 years, Jesus lived every day knowing that he was one day nearer to the cross. His heart every day was wrung by inconceivable anguish. Every moment was one that was filled with grief and sorrow, knowing that he was born to die. Every day he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. You know, I read something that really struck me. In the first selected messages, 322, and listen to this. Jesus endured such a headache as no human language can portray. Now, some of you have never had a headache. We have a member of this church. My prayers are with him many times. He has terrible headaches. Brother Lanier almost drives him out of his mind. And I know what headaches are. In my first year of college, I got the measles and didn't know it. And as a result, I have terrible headaches. So terrible that for two times I have been on the operating table in which they have taken the eyeballs out of their sockets and cut off every one of the muscles and shortened them a quarter of an inch. And I know what a terrible headache is. But brothers and sisters, it tells us that Christ had a headache that no human language can portray. It's beyond our comprehension. Why? Because he was gathering the sins of the whole world upon himself. He was innocent. Yet he offered himself as a substitute for our sins. For the guilt of every sin that was ever committed in this world was upon him. Every evil thought, every evil word, every evil deeds. And today we just can't comprehend the evil that's taking place around us. All of this called for retribution upon himself. Consider the guilt that this brought upon our Lord Jesus Christ. The feeling of guilt because of these sins. You know, I have known two men who committed suicide because of the guilt of their sin. Nobody else's. They just couldn't live with what they had done and they committed suicide. Can you Imagine what it was when the Lord Jesus Christ takes to himself the sins of the world and all its guilt. That's why I asked Brother Perry to sing that song, Have You Been to the Cross? Have you seen, have you experienced in your heart what Jesus did? Bearing the sin of every one of us. For he who knew no sin it says, became sin for us. That's what Peter says, 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree. And this is why at the cross we are drawn to the loving Savior. We may be drawn because we sit and meditate 
and see him in our vision. We may be drawn as we read from the Holy Scriptures the story of the cross, or we may be drawn by a living preacher as he tells of the story. Suddenly sometimes, maybe little by little, the cross draws us to the Savior. And this then brings us to our part. Immeasurably, immeasurably small. Let me read it to you. The part that man is required to sustain is immeasurably small. Jesus dies for us. He carries all the sin and all the guilt. And our part, it's absolutely important. And that is not to resist. I'm reminded of this as I filled up my tank of gas last Sabbath at the filling station. And there was a lady there who used to come to this church. And I remember her in my home one night as my wife and I pled and prayed with her. Oh, she says, I don't want to. I don't want to come to the Lord now. Somehow she was resisting. And our part is not to resist. Jeremiah 31.3 I have loved thee with an everlasting love. With loving kindness I have drawn thee. Jeremiah 31.3 It's disastrous to resist. Paul cried out in Hebrews 2.3 How shall we escape? if we neglect so great a salvation. It's absolutely important that we do not resist the drawing power of the cross. Christ Object Lessons, page 188. Christ has made the first advance. While you were in rebellion against him, he went forth to seek you. With the tender heart of the shepherd, he left the ninety and nine and went out into the wilderness to find that which was lost. The soul, bruised, wounded, ready to perish, he encircles his arm of love and joyfully bears it to the fold of safety. What a savior. Oh, how he loves us at the peril of his life. But it's so easy to resist. You know, in Revelation 3, it tells us that so many resist because they are lukewarm. They have a feeling that they need nothing. And they don't realize that they are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, ready to be lost. Oh, I beg of you this morning, turn your eye to the cross. Gaze upon that bleeding form. Look into those pleading eyes. Behold his purity and his righteousness, which he longs to bestow upon you. Then you will see yourself helplessly lost and in need. And if you are ever to be saved, it will not be because of your goodness, only by God's infinite grace. Don't resist as he draws you. And if you will respond 
as he draws, then God is able to do the second part. He is then able to convict you of sin. Desire of Ages 175. If we do not resist this drawing, we shall be led to the foot of the cross in repentance for the sins that have crucified our Savior. How does he do this? John 16, 8. He says, when the Spirit is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And this is why I can never preach a smooth sermon from this pulpit. Recently, I heard through the Adventist grapevine, a certain woman in a nearby community who told one of the members that I made her very uncomfortable when I preached. She said she didn't like to come and hear me because I made her feel that she was asleep. She wanted to go home, she said, from church, feeling good about herself. But this is not the kind of the preaching that God expects of his servant as we near the end of time. Listen, Desire of Ages 104. God does not send messages to flatter the sinner. He delivers no message of peace to lull the unsanctified into a faulty security. He lays heavy burdens upon the conscience of the wrongdoer and pierces the soul with arrows of conviction. The ministering angels present to him the fearful judgments of God and prompt him to cry, what must I do to be saved? I want to tell you, if we come and worship with our God and go out, not feeling that there is something more we must do in our life to get ready, there's something wrong with the preaching. God expects us to arouse those who would listen to the word of God. For the end is upon us. He wants to pierce our hearts with conviction. What must I do to be saved? And this brings us now to our part. Immeasurably small compared to what Jesus did, dying on the cross. But it's important, we must acknowledge our guilt. Jeremiah put it straight and clear, Jeremiah 3.13, acknowledge your guilt. Moses told us, and he pulled no punch, when a man is guilty, he shall confess the sin that he has committed. Our first acceptance with the Lord Jesus Christ is to acknowledge our guilt. But again, this experience comes only when we come to the foot of the cross. Selected Messages 1, 326. The only reason that we have not remission of our sins is that we have not acknowledged to him whom we have wounded by our transgressions, whom we have pierced by our sins, that we are at fault and there is need of mercy. When I come in and I see the Lord, I see him dying from my sin. 
You know, Lucifer was the first one in the universe of God that justified himself. And when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing they did was they blamed God. But when we come to the cross and see Jesus dying for my sin and your sin, we find repentance. Tell me honestly, have you experienced a broken heart in your life over sins? I'm sure that every one of you, and I hope you do, would you go to bed at night that you ask God to clear things up for the day. And when you kneel and ask God to forgive you, suddenly do you realize that the sin you committed was the sin that he died for? Or we, do you just almost do this as a rote that like when you sit at the table you thank God for the food and ask him to bless it? Or does it become a personal thing with you? If you'll spend time at the cross, you will see sin in such a way that when you ask him to forgive you, it will break your heart. Psalms 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit at the cross. We see that every wound was caused by your sin and my sin. This is what pierced his hands, his feet, and his side. And when we see this, we will confess our sin with a broken, a broken heart crushed by our sins. And this makes it possible for God now to take part of the third part. Now he is ready to give you repentance. Acts 5.31, God has exalted Christ to give repentance to Israel. But once again, this happens only at the cross. He says, if I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men. Zechariah 12.10, when they look on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn as one mourns for an only child and weeps bitterly over him as one that weeps for a firstborn. Have you ever lost a child? Do you know the pain? I do, for I have experienced it. Have you ever known someone that lived near you or that was in church, a father and mother, broken-hearted when they lost a child? Have you gone through such an experience? No words can adequately describe the pain. And at the cross, the sinner beholds the Lamb of God dying for his sins. It does something to you. This is why God wants us every day to come to the cross every day to think about it. The desire of ages tells us that with such sorrow it will do something for us. 
Before I read that, I want to read this verse in 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly grief produces repentance and leads to salvation. Oh, I think sometimes we think that all we can need to do is just come to church and sing and pay our tithe and... Oh, brothers and sisters, we need to come to the cross. It needs to be glorified in our lives. Desire of Ages 3.10 Real sorrow for sin is the result of the working of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit reveals the ingratitude of the heart that has slighted and grieved the Savior and brings us into contrition at the foot of the cross. Every sin, by every sin, Jesus is wounded afresh. When you asked God last night to forgive you as you closed your eyes, did you realize that yesterday you wounded him afresh? As we look upon him whom we have pierced, we mourn for the sins that have brought anguish unto him. Such mourning will lead us to renunciation. You want victory in your life? I'll tell you, when you go to the cross, you don't want to do it anymore. You get on your knees and you plead to God for power that will keep you from doing that again. This brings us to our part. As we confess, we must forsake. It's immeasurably small. Christ did it all. But we must do that. We must forsake. Proverbs 28.3 He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes will obtain mercy. And if you want this experience, go to the cross. Like that man clinging to the tree. The rope came down. By taking hold of it, he could save his life, but he had to leave go of the tree. We have to leave go of these sinful desires, of these sinful hearts of ours. We must do this. I read in, volume, in Bible Commentary 7, Christ is able to save to the uttermost. He will cleanse from all defilement. But if we cling to our sins, we cannot possibly be saved. For Christ's righteousness covers no sin unrepentant of. Brothers and sisters, I am talking about the very ABCs of salvation today. I don't care how long you have been in the church, please, with me this morning. I don't care how long it's been since you baptized. Brothers and sisters, have you been to the cross recently? Have you seen what sin is? Are you getting victories over it? That's why in Proverbs 23, 26, Jesus says, My son, give me your heart. What does he want? Why, he wants that whole heart that's dead in trespasses of sins, that's sick and faint with no soundness in it. That heart that is held fast in the snares of Satan, 
Give it to him. That's your part. And when you do, you will experience a transformation. This was what David did. I'm so happy that the Lord saw fit to put it into the word. When he saw his sin, he saw his need. He cried, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy steadfast love. According to thy abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done that which is evil in thy sight. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide thy face from my sin and blot out all mine iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. This is our part. And when we do it, now God is able to forgive, to cleanse, and to create a new life within you in which he himself will live. 1 John 1.19, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1.7. It's at the cross that you, you realize how he can wash and how he can cleanse you. Just now, ask the Holy Spirit to help you to see Jesus on the cross as I read this verse. When the soldiers, early writings 209, when the soldiers pierced the side of Jesus as he hung upon the cross, there came out two distinct streams, one of blood, the other of water. The blood was to wash away the sins of those who should believe in his name and the water, to represent that life-giving water that will give life to the believer. And so when we come to the cross, we can see this. That's why Paul, when he was talking to Titus in chapter 3, verse 5 to 8, he said, Jesus saves us not because of our deeds in our righteousness, but in virtue of our own mercy but by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit because we become heirs of eternal life. And so it's at the cross that we, we see the blood and we see the water and we see it being poured out for you and for me. Praise God, it's true. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Forgiveness brings us a broader meaning. It reclaims and it transforms. That's why David understood when he prayed, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. At the cross we can receive a new creation. Christ Object Lessons 163, as the sinner, 
drawn by the power of Christ, approaches the uplifted cross and prostrates himself before it, there is a new creation. And this is Bible theology, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. At the cross there is complete salvation. In the book Steps to Christ, page 50, believe that he does this because that he has promised. And so this morning I have brought to you the fact that it's just not a fact to believe that Christ was on the cross for you. The believing means that we must cooperate and there is that part which we must do. At the cross we will cry out, it was my sin that crucified the Son of God. And I will lead my sins at the cross and I will permit the Lord Jesus Christ to transform, transfer his life into my life. Looking at the Redeemer, faith takes hold. Yes, there is something we must do. Patriarchs and Prophets 431. We must believe that he accepts and pardons. Faith is the hand by which the soul takes hold upon the divine offers of grace and mercy. Faith will make it possible. Keep these statements before you this week. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. John 20, 17, do not be faithless, but believing. Mark 9, 23, all things are possible to him who believes. And Matthew 9, 29, according to your faith, be it unto you. Won't you join me this week in spending a little more time at the cross? Believe his word and it shall be fulfilled. Remember, at the cross, there is a power which no human eye can see that will create a new being within you in the image of God. Desire of Ages 173. I've asked Brother Pear to sing our closing appeal song, and I hope this week as we sing, as I sing with him, that somehow you will catch a new vision of what the peace of God can do for you. I hope this week, as you spend time at the cross, that somehow you will find a new experience of wonderful peace with Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, this is what our heart longs for. O oh God, as we leave this church today, as we face another week to come, 
Oh God, may the cross be the one object of our life as we give our hearts to Jesus. Give us this peace in Jesus' name. Amen.